0: Nine eight seven six five four three two one. Live from Swansea, this is the Twilight Show with
1: Nathan Ginn. Borrowed our pal, a Avatar. Hey, everyone, welcome to Swansea and the Twilight <laughs> Show. Meet Nathan Ginn, and tonight. On the show, we are talking about school refusal. We're joined by Ellie Costello from Square Peg, a social enterprise looking to affect change on children who struggle to attend school and their families, and Madeleine Roberts, a parent who's been affected. Tune in, talk it out. Off we go. Live from Swansea, this
0: is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out
1: with Teachers Talk Radio. And Boreadar Pab, Khoi Soi everyone, welcome to Swansea twilight show with me nathan gin on teachers talk radio um and i've just seen one caller connect in. i'm just going to check who it is um hello hello and who, sorry i can't see from your username who we've got joining us is that ellie
2: no that's maddie
1: maddie hi yeah i wasn't sure sometimes it does this thing where it auto generates usernames sometimes really uh so um thank you for joining us um tonight um we are as i say going to be joined by ellie um costello as well from square peg and tonight we're talking a little bit about school refusal um so if we start off kind of hearing a little bit about yourself um maddie and i know this has been in the news today a lot i know ellie has been all over the news uh today a lot um talking about these things so tell us a little bit about yourself and why this is a topic close to your heart
2: um so i have a nine-year-old son who is adhd autistic with a demand avoidant profile um who last year really started to uh, struggle with school-based anxiety um it was quite a fight through the education system local authority to get his needs understood um we eventually come out of that with um, an EOTUS package, which is education otherwise than at school. Um, And, yeah, it just really gave me a passion for trying to prevent this happening to other families, Um, sort of the parent blaming, the idea that, you know, threatening with fines is going to make the situation better or it's going to get us to get our children into school. and I met uh, Susan online through a support group who her story funny was just literally mirrored our story and we sort of said oh you know we really want to do something about this Susan said she was putting a bit of writing together to do a petition and I was like oh should we do this together um, contacted a few of the SEND organisations that we knew online and it's literally just grown from there
1: um, and so that's, I, I think one of the things maybe we forget about sometimes, uh, you know, as schools and organizations, and it will be a lot of teachers listening and a lot of school leaders listening is is that other side, the side that you're sort of telling us uh, now as, as, you know, as the parent. So you kind of mentioned there a little bit about your kind of view that maybe, you know, fines didn't work or or that approach. Now, um, without kind of, you know, I don't want to kind of uh, put you under the spotlight for, um, like, a, you know, if you feel you would be criticising your school or not. But in your general opinion, from talking to people about this, how do you feel about how schools approach parents?
2: Um, I think there's just a general lack of understanding um, within schools and society um, about the difficulties that children have with attending school um, and the sort of idea that it's a chosen behavior rather than an anxiety um and because it's you know it's an invisible disability sometimes like the pda profile of autism so unless people are really sort of trained and understanding or have lived experience of that they can't really see what the child is struggling with um and i think that makes it quite difficult sometimes between schools and parents because schools will say oh you know when
1: Oh, Maddie, I think we've lost you just a little. Oh, just no, cutting in and out there for me a little bit there.
2: Um, yes. You... Sorry, no. It was just um, saying that there can be diff- It's difficult communicating between parents and staff because staff or school don't always necessarily see the child's difficulties. Um, and then certainly in our situation, we were saying about the challenging behaviour at home, the anxiety before and after school, um. And it sort of almost leads in a way to a parent not being believed about their child's difficulties and the anxieties.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I you know, I do wonder, and we, you know, we've talked before um, on the show about some of the things that schools are being asked to do, particularly by the, the, Department for Education in England, and some of the language, and you know, I, I would put this uh, possibly across to both of you. And I can see Ellie's joined in the studio there. I'm just going to see if we can get her to call in and, and connect. Um, is um, some of the language about it? So, when you talk about your um, child not wanting to go into the school, what language do you use?
2: Um, well, we use sort of um, school-based anxiety. Um, or attendance barriers, attendance difficulties, I think sometimes because when it's seen as a school refusal or in brackets the child won't go to school, again it's seen as a chosen behaviour whereas actually it is anxiety, they can't go to school or they can't leave the house Um, and it isn't a You know it isn't a choice to go mum I'm refusing to go to school it's actually that anxiety is preventing them from going to school and as we kind of know now a lot of children that have that anxiety around going to school is that their needs aren't actually being met at school or understood at school which then it can be a child's way of showing you that that they're, they're not having their needs met because there's an underlying reason why they're struggling to go in
1: Um, yeah and so if I was to say and you know feel free like you know I'm gonna uh, some words to you kind of if I get your reaction to these so if I I, you know if I if schools start throwing around words sort of truancy yeah how how does that make you you know or is that a word that you would recognize or a word that you would want not used
2: um I think in my experience what I've tried to get it across to other professionals or schools is literally asking for some empathy for these children and for adults to put themselves into the child's shoes so if an adult was anxious or struggling with mental health difficulties um, and didn't feel able to go into the workplace or the office then obviously that would be marked off as sick and your GP would sign you off and you know you'd work through that before you would be able to return to your job And it's very similar for children, but unfortunately, what you know, that's what I'm saying. You know, people that say truancy, it gives the idea again that it's a chosen behaviour that the child doesn't want to go, or perhaps that the parent just can't be bothered. Many, many parents that I speak to and that we um, hear from are parents that are screaming out for help and support, a diagnosis for their child, an EHCP for their child you know and are still being presented with a fine because they think that that's the way to get them back in and it's actually like you know it's not us that it's not that we're just sitting here thinking we can't be bothered it's just the lack of knowledge and understanding and like i say some empathy
1: okay and so i'm gonna kind of use some of the words that the department for education use and maybe yeah. we'll talk through some of these so words i've you know i've heard either from sort of department for education or sort of um, school improvement officers and, and and such like you know in, in that kind of area people looking to so they would be uh, talking about things like we need to deal with non-attendance we need to drive up and we need to challenge these things um so that would I, I guess you'd see that as part of a part of that building a confrontation between school and parents
2: absolutely and it i think it you know again it comes down to we're asking for help we're asking for support we're asking for understanding you know so when it seems to be that they want to challenge us on that it's you're never going to find the solution in challenging or trying to in you know give fines and punishments we're we're seeing a massive cry for you know support systems and a, and a and more education for people and more understanding about children with additional needs um and that yeah it just then it gets the back of parents because parents are then feeling like we're being parent blamed um because we can't get the right help for our children
1: um Yeah, uh, sorry, I'm just connecting with Ellie um, there, um, sort of messaging her through, just trying to get her on as well. Um, Ellie, I think if you just check that you're on a smartphone, first of all, and then we'll we'll work from there. I've just sent you a message to see if we can get you on as well. Um, Now, um, more recently then... We've, we've kind of faced a pandemic. We, we know that there's been non-attendance through, a pan, through the pandemic because it was kind of government-enforced non-attendance. And then it has continued. And some of that has been because um, you know, of restrictions put in place. But we are now at a point where the government is asking for us to take a stand. Um, I'm just going to connect there. We've just got another caller coming in. So we'll see if this is Ellie on her way in. Um, But when you um, heard that or when you start to hear, you know, um, the the Department for Education sort of saying, right, we're going to tackle this. What were your initial thoughts?
2: My initial thoughts as a parent with a child that suffers from anxiety and difficulties with attending school is that actually in general mental health wise that there has been no consideration or support for any children um, going through the pandemic and being expected to go from the home environment straight back into school Um, and I think we what is missed for a lot of children who are autistic um, certainly my son has developed sort of an OCD with hand washing Um, you know the government's had everywhere for ages wash your hands save lives stay home Uh, it's not something for an autistic child that they can then just forget this experience or forget you know what's being told Um, and I think also there was no support put in place that for children that were struggling before the pandemic um, maybe some with additional needs maybe some with bullying or things like that, they were shown a much safer, happier way to learn. Um, You know, and none of that's been taken into consideration. It's just sort of expected that we can push these children around and one minute say, you're staying home and then you're going back to school. And certainly when they went back to school and you had, um, you know, like the, the class bubbles and things like that, and a bubble had burst and all of a sudden it'd be, oh, you're back at home again for two weeks, you know, There's lots of change and uncertainty there, especially, like, say, for our children that have additional needs. They they struggle with that.
1: And you said that, you know, a Yotas package had been put together um, for for your child. And most people or a lot of people tend to use, uh, when they think about educated other than at school, they they start thinking about um, things like a pupil referral unit. Okay. Yep. Um, but there are other options available. Are you happy to share sort of the, the package that was put together for yourself?
2: Yeah, Um. obviously for us, we didn't have an easy journey. Um, and I think a lot of parents um, experience the same thing. There has to be a lot of proof that your child can um attend school, that they need extra support. Um, a lot of medical evidence and, and backing from that. And actually, for my son, a clinical psychologist has said that he has a school-based trauma now because I wasn't listened to for the years that we were kind of forcing him into that environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so with the Otis package that he has, it's a completely bespoke package. Um, he has uh, a company that sort of works with him who mentor him and help him with his uh, social difficulties because again, obviously being at home through that pandemic, um, he had social phobia, separation anxiety. He had um, difficulties in just leaving the house in general. And because a lot of professionals involved with him didn't understand his needs and school hadn't understood his needs, he actually didn't trust a lot of other adults or professionals. um, he's got quite a good intuition to who he can be himself around and, and, and who understands him. Um, and then with that, I found um, a bespoke uh, company called Yellowbrick Education, who um, they literally take the child, they find what their interests are, what their needs are, and it's a complete bespoke curriculum around him, um, where he can just be himself and he is literally just thriving. He is such a different child now with this package.
1: And can I ask, is that in person or is it remote or?
2: Um, It's in person. um, So he, he gets 25 hours a week, um, which is split between the two organisations and we have hit a point already where he's come along so fast with this now I can see that he actually needs more Um, but the next difficulty that we face as a family is there isn't sort of many provisions or because he has now like a school-based trauma he won't be able to go back even to a specialist school and a lot of the specialist schools that we have in our area or you know are for children with learning disabilities as well Um, and he doesn't have a learning disability you know he's he's very bright he's very intelligent but he needs the demand avoidant part of his profile means that he needs to be in control for his anxiety to be low um and it's getting professionals and people around him to allow him to feel in control and to be child led and kind of work alongside him um, for them differences to be made.
1: Yeah, thank you, thank you for sharing that. That I think it's really important that teachers kind of hear about these different things that do happen outside of school or as you you know as we call it educated other than at school. Um, to to understand how it can work how it can help a child now we should be joined by ellie i'm just going to check in are you there ellie
3: i am can you hear me
1: Uh, we can hear you loud and clear now now sorry for that it must be the the gremlins in you know in the studio um always playing up but you've made it into us and we've just been talking just a little bit with maddie about kind of her experiences um kind of how it's come through we spoke a little bit about the language that is used around it and and just touched on maybe that adversarial part of um uh, you know around schools and parents now yeah why don't we start off with a kind of an introduction to you i did give you a brief intro in the start but tell us a little bit about your story where where you're coming from on this topic
3: yeah so um well obviously or well, not obviously but um uh that i i became interested in this area um as a result of my children's own struggles within education um, we entered uh, uh, primary education in 2010, um, and um, uh, you know I had uh, a child who'd had um, quite complex health needs that had gone undiagnosed since birth, and uh, and remained undiagnosed actually until he was nine, at which point he hit a health crisis and was in and out of hospital for 9 months with nobody really understanding or identifying what was going on and that led to an accusation of fabricating and inducing illness for me um and um, it was just the most shocking 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 time because from the moment he was born um there were challenges there um and what happened was um the physical um uh, Ill health wasn't identified and wasn't picked up because it was quite complicated, um, and and I got caught in a sort of a web, I suppose, of of health doubting what was going on because I kept we we kept on having to go to A and E because he was um in such excruciating pain, um and uh, it wasn't diagnosed for nine months, um and then subsequently um, following a, a private diagnosis because we were that desperate we knew that there was something going on we we uncovered a a, a, an obstruction in his bowel and um and we were able to to sort that out and within six months after that we um uh uncovered again privately um a um a, a rare genetic disorder which impacts multiple systems in his body for which he is now under several consultants um unfortunately um, long-term for for life really Um, and we've had to because he um, uh, came up against medical-based trauma because um, being in hospital for nine months when you're uh, nine and nobody having a clue what was going on was extremely um, disabling for him I suppose most of us when we come up against an A&E situation we're kind of in we're triaged we're assessed we get treated we go into recovery and we're home and so for a nine-year-old to sort of be there in a situation where no medic um, uh, was able to identify Um, what was going on it was um, extremely scary for him and for me and he was picking up obviously the sort of doubt in professionals minds what was happening that 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 I was making it up and he was told not you know don't believe your mum she's making you ill Um, and so it was a bit of a perfect storm so we had sort of um, health doubting us in the public sector Uh, we had as a consequence of that school doubting us and um, we had um, clearly identified um, anxiety and medical-based trauma for which there was some support but because school I suppose was very focused on on a quick transition back in for a child really that had been in pain for nine years um, from birth and he had actually um, subsequently shared that he believed that everyone was in pain because he thought it was normal um, and uh, and he was the only one not coping. And so we we um, have, um, uh, you know, quite complex attachment needs as a result. And he missed out on some real foundational um, building blocks, I suppose, for which, um, you know, we're we're still working through alongside quite a complex healthcare um, situation at a time when the Gove reforms hit and um, educational standards were were ramped up I suppose and, and expectations and the, um, a focus on attendance came in um, and prosecuting and finding parents came in um, and I remember when that came in um, and sort of thinking oh gosh well we'll be all right because we'll never be fined because you know a we, we don't take um, you know term time holidays and b because we're law-abiding citizens and my kids don't truant so that'll never happen to us that's okay and then to come up against the sort of rough edge of of that of that policy and that legislation was eye opening alongside of course the send reforms being rolled out so by the time we hit sort of quite severe needs it was um what well, 2014 was when the health crisis started 2015 was when you know we had the FII 2016 was when um, we identified the um, genetic condition, um, and 2017 was when austerity was really biting in in public services. Specialist teaching was slashed. CAMS was, um, you know, drowning. Arguably, had been for you know a couple of decades. Spe- and um, support services such as sensory inter- integration and occupational therapy and speech and language were all um, gone. And schools' budgets were were you know being slashed dramatically as well Um, and so it was a perfect storm really so that's that's how I um, came to learn at very breakneck speed about things like um, school refusal as a term um, and to experience what clinical levels of anxiety were like in a child is absolutely horrendous Um, you know this isn't you know this is absolutely disabling and then how that then impacted my own mental health and how that was really compounded by the system's response towards us or sometimes it was a lack of response sometimes it was inaction but also it was to come up against that sort of question over whether or not you are neglecting or harming your child and you know, the, the sort of inference that actually I, I, you know, my opinion over his fitness to attend was called into question and to, to feel so disabled and, and, to, and to have my authority as a parent consistently questioned in the early days was extremely destabilizing. Fast forward seven years and we've got a really great team around the child. We've got a fully funded DHCP um, and he's in the middle of his GCSEs. Having only attended in live in person from September last year but is um, you know has uh, you know surprised everyone a because we've got his health stable and he's recovered B because he's had huge amounts of clinical um, therapeutic support but C because he's in a small environment in which that is what he is able to manage and thrive in um, but we should never have ended up where we are. Um, and it's been an absolutely massive learning curve and an awakening. Where I, I often say, if it's like this for me, you know, middle class, white, able bodied, English as a first language, degree educated woman, then what's it like for everybody else? And that, and that call to arms, I suppose, was was why I joined um, Fran at Square Peg. Um, and we've been campaigning quite um, consistently around the lack of attendance, uh, attention. Sorry, around attendance, and then of course COVID just legitimised that call, um, and suddenly, boom, we have a huge amount of of attention on it, and it's become a government and ministerial priority, which is incredible. But we were, you know, constantly um, on catch up, if you like, because the the, the drivers around. Um, what is persistent absence, who these families are and why it happens gets really muddied muddied with attendance data, um, but also gets muddied in terms of some worrying political ideology, I suppose, and political aims and some core beliefs within the systems actually towards honesty of parents and honesty of children, our children trying it on, you know, they're just snowflakes, you know, they, what they need is a firm hand, both parents and children. So it's quite a toxic mix.
1: Thank you. And I wanted to ask you kind of, you know, while you kind of were sort of talking about that kind of the, the honesty aspect bit, about, you know, your own experience. And hopefully we'll, we'll broaden out a bit as well. Yeah, but these personal stories are, you know, incredibly powerful. I think for people to understand when they're sending that red letter home as a, as yeah. a school, you know, what actually is on the receiving end of that. But, yeah. um, it, you know, in particular, I wanted to kind of ask about when we talk about attendance coding. And yeah. uh and such like, and schools and teachers may be familiar with this. They may be filling their, you know, their register in if they're a class teacher on Sims, and if if there is no child there, they'll have to put a a, a code, holding yeah. code in there, yeah. you know, like maybe an N, and then someone from yeah. the attendance team will be phoning up and 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 kind of asking. And in in some schools, in some situations, and certainly in a school that was in the in the the news today, um, talking about how they'd you know driven up attendance or improved it, mm. um was about people then, if they couldn't contact the parent, going around and knocking on the door and demanding or asking for, asking for evidence or proof of illness yeah. and yeah. such like. Is that your experience then?
3: Yeah. So, you know, what was really shocking, I mean, it's it's interesting because uh, my mum was in her early 20s when she had me and, and, you know, but way back then she could send in the sick note kind of thing and that was taken as read. Um it's she, she i mean she really can't believe the amount of evidence that we had to give in order for my opinion as a parent to be accepted and you know we, we um square peg was not fine in school the organization we work with who represent and, and um uh, support these families um via a facebook group um the we we did actually challenge the dfe about the registrations system and about the coding because it arguably isn't fit for purpose but um, because of designated safeguarding principles because of um you know schools have to evidence to ofsted um you know um whether or not they're they're checking on, on on parents you know we were asked for medical evidence particularly once it becomes chronic illness which was off the scale and, and and you know the British Medical Association has come out and said you know GPs aren't there to write sick notes we've got more than enough on our plates that we you know this is ridiculous um and um, and it shouldn't be happening you know um now obviously once you've got a child with very chronic illness and you get to a place of you know if you're lucky consultant led care then you've got that as as evidence or or even you know I have to bring in hospital appointment letters. Um, but it, it, it got to the point of, you know, are you sure that you have to take him to an NHS appointment on a Tuesday morning? And it was just like, well, you tell me the last time you can tell the NHS when you when you can book in you know you wait six to nine months for an an appointment and you leap at it and you turn up um so you know it's it's it i suppose that 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 element of medical evidence is 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 unnecessary The, the the dfe um wrote to us when we when we um raised the challenge and they said that schools you know, the only reason why evidence is necessary is if the veracity of the parent's opinion is in question. But it seems to me that the veracity of the parental opinion is extremely time limited and extremely um, narrow. Um, and it doesn't take much for your opinion to be challenged, particularly now when we have the Children's Commissioner in Ofsted and Ofsted and Minister Sahawi you know, um, putting out there that, you know, attendance is everyone's business, like safeguarding is everyone's business. And so what you have is a kind of culture of everyone scanning the horizon and seeking out risk. But what that risk um, averse um, culture does is it, it presumes skills, you know, there's no very little room for trust in the system, or care, actually, because everyone is trying to Cover themselves um, to prove that they're following due process and doing the right thing, and not letting anyone slip through the let through the net. Um, and so that that community agency that I suppose a school has to know their families and to work with their families and to come from a place of care and trust that's really being eroded. And I thought your your analysis last week was 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 so accurate, really in in. In sort of asking those lines of inquiry and unpicking um, what's coming out from a, from a government level, but also asking and, and just raising the question of what's it like for schools? Because it must be incredibly challenging to try to walk this line and, 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 and do the right thing.
1: And, you know, and I would say I honestly believe that all of the individual people working in schools are caring people who care about the children, who care about the family. I think one of the big issues and hopefully, you know, we've got a break for the ads in a second. But when we come back afterwards, we'll be able to talk about how sometimes we need to think about those systems we've put in place that can be incredibly mechanical and uncaring. And unhelpful for parents when it is, oh, we will do this and then it will be a red letter and then it will be a knock on the door and then it will be a fine. And do you know what I mean? I think sometimes those levers we have turn caring people into uncaring systems yes exactly that <laughs> right well we are going to pop to the um, the ads first of all just a quick ad break uh, from our sponsors and we will see you all just on the other side where we'll be talking just a little bit more about those ins and outs of what absenteeism is uh, refusal even addressing some of the words we use around it so we will see you all just on the other side
5: £60 in bursary. Terms and conditions apply. Find out more at stevewoods.co.uk
6: If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common, a passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are With a Slack Group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers, and be part of our future.
0: Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TTRadio. Tune in, talk it
1: out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello everyone, welcome to Swansea in the Twilight Show on Teachers Talk Radio with me Nathan Ginn and tonight we're talking school refusal. We're joined by Ellie Costello, um, from Square Peg um, and Madeline Roberts, and we're you know talking about children who struggle to attend school and their families, and um, well, what schools and teachers need to understand. Um, now, welcome back, Ellie and Maddie. Are you still with us? Oh, you've panicked me both there. Can you hear me? Let's just have a little look. Uh, Ellie, are you there? Right, at the moment, I'm not, oh, how strange, I'm not hearing anything. If you try clicking the, the mute and unmute button, I can see Ellie's popped, uh, yeah, both there. Uh, hello. Can, can you, you hear me? Oh, I can hear you now. Do you know what, the gremlins tonight I, oh. um, who knows? Um, So it must have been the ad break there, me playing around with the uh, the muting buttons in the ad break. But welcome back. Um, and hello. I'm just going to check, uh, Maddie, are you there as well? We're struggling with maddie i think if you like click and unclick that mute button that there you go one? yeah there you are as well yeah I, do you know what I, the the gremlins are with us today here in south <laughs> wales um although the the sun has been as well which i'm happy with normally it's raining when i do my show but we're, we're heading into the sunny times um now uh, as part of kind of the introduction and to kind of talk about this it is teachers talk radio and so we are talking you know directly to teachers directly to school leaders really would be the the people listening and so um that might change some of the things that we say i know a lot of you know the campaigning that you will do and the the challenge is about bringing together you know lots of different groups of people, including parents um and teachers and schools to, to to look at this issue and politicians but um The first bit I wanted to talk about and kind of ask you both about, we've touched on this a little, um, is, you know, these different words uh, when we talk about absences from schools So we talk about truancy, absenteeism, refusal, uh, loads of colloquial slang like mitching is what they call it here, bunking off where I grew up is what it was called. and what we're describing now when you guys talk about it is is it an umbrella of lots of different things do you specify
3: um i i think um so you know truancy is defined because the parents are unaware that the child is not in school and persistent absenteeism is um you know the parent is aware um, and so there's a sort of question over whether or not they're complicit in the absenteeism um the, the, the term of choice at the moment is um, EBSA, Emotionally-Based School Avoidance, um, and that came out of Sussex, um, and uh, it's like in Sussex have done some work um, and published some work, and it sort of became a pop- popular amongst professionals, and it was an attempt with EBSA um, to sort of, you know, call, in, call to mind the fact that this is potentially a mental health issue, Emotionally-Based School Avoidance. With our families, it's really unpopular um, because okay. um, it's, it, again, leveling the challenge being within child. And a lot of our research shows that it's actually, you know, the the child isn't the problem, the child is perhaps the environments that they can't access or or they're not able to access um, uh, special educational support or perhaps they're, um, you know, a young carer um, or perhaps they are in insecure housing. Um, and so um, whilst the drivers, perhaps or the or, or English isn't their first language, um, so, you know, EBSA isn't entirely popular but it is an improvement on um, school refusal which was the term that i was given or school phobia or school avoidance um which again you know felt quite medicalized um in local area um next door to me at coventry they refer to it as ENAS, extended non-attendance at school and i have to say out of all of the options that i've heard it's sort of quite you know does what it says on the tin ENAS, it's it's just a sort of factual statement um about the problem rather than it um couching it as being emotionally based um so um in terms of when we've polled not fine in school families um and we've asked them um the term barriers to attendance was was one of the um one of the top um phrases that came out um or attendance difficulties broadly but um uh you know i i quite, personally i quite like ENAS, um but um i don't know how maddie feels about it
2: we, we did sort of briefly talk about that just before you were on, Ellie, and just saying that, you know, um, I think most parents are, are not too worried about what what the phrase is, but it's just being able to define the fact that it isn't a chosen choice. It's, you, um, you know, like when we say that they can't go to school, won't go to school or anxiety based um, difficulties to to be able to describe that in a way that it's not sounding like it is just the child saying no I'm not going to go or a parent I'm not going to send them
3: yeah I think I think it's square peg as well we try to you know think compassionately and person-centered about the whole breadth of of attendance difficulties so you know we're not particularly a fan of truancy either it's and I know you touched on that um, last week Nathan with you know just talking about the sort of Dickensian sort of overthrows of delinquency and and all the rest of it, um, and um, that's not particularly popular either. But I, I you know, we and, and we frame attendance difficulties within um, the sort of uh, stress responses. So um, uh, if you're a flight risk, you're a truant. So if you think of fight, flight, fro- flop, drop, freeze in terms of normal stress responses to to stimulus, um, you know, if you're um, a fight normally ends up in exclusion flight is truancy um flop drop um and freeze is where you see your persistent absentees but they're all normal understandable signs of distress as a result of experience and i think if we can you know so so from that point of view the emotionally based element is 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 valid but it's it's arising from stimulus you know we, we don't get stressed for no reason unless you actually have clinically you know you've developed mental ill health and you're clinically disabled by anxiety which unfortunately both of my children um, ended up with that with that level of dis- disabling anxiety it was absolutely horrific because they couldn't get out of that hole at that time if they tried and, and when I was kind of to
2: I don't know if you agree, Ellie, but I was trying to say, like, for a lot of our children, if they're not able to verbally tell us or Mm. say what it is about school that they find difficult, it is sort of like a, a, a way of communicating that their needs are not being met. And like you say, whether that's the environment or whatever it is, for a child to show that anxiety and not be able to attend, we know that there must be an underlying reason for that.
3: Yeah, yeah. And just to pick up, Nathan, as well, you were saying about, you know, the good work that's being done in schools and the the care and concern. And and I think one of the privileges that I have is actually connecting across the sector um, and beyond the sector and really sort of working with professionals to a share. Our experiences and our parents' voices, but also to hear theirs. And I think it's those kind of courageous conversations that's where we that's where we unlock the ways out of this. Um, and I think that transparency of communication is is so important. I think that that's 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 the hook to to help us all um, navigate this when you've got a very distressed child on your hands.
1: Yeah, I find it really interesting to fl- reflect on that idea of kind of where the, the the locus of control is being placed. Like you know, and if the school is sort of placing that with the you know the actually the parent needs to get the child in, or the child needs to just come in, and and us accepting that actually there must be something in our environment or that we are doing that you know is potentially causing this um response now I wanted to pick up on another thing that you sort of talked about there which was around you know we talked a little bit about special educational needs and disabilities and we we, we've also talked about and and this for me is I guess a little bit of a bugbear that I have sometimes around how people see social emotional mental health needs compared to other um, special educational needs, especially when we come to around this area, what is it? What do we know about uh, sort of the interplay of absenteeism and, and special educational needs?
3: Uh, well, in the data, thirty percent of persistent absentees are are known to have um, SEND, so that's either on SEN support or um, or with an EHCP. So you know, it's more than a quarter. Arguably, you know, I worry about those who are persistent absentees who are perhaps classed of truants but are undiagnosed or unassessed and there is actually something more going on there. Um, you know, we know that those with um, hidden disabilities in particular are vulnerable to all sorts of, um, you know, situations outside of school and all sorts of vulnerabilities. Um, so I think SEND is absolutely evidenced already in in the in the data but is potentially underrepresented um but um yeah it's i hope that answers your question i mean i've got i've got some of the data here for pre-pandemic and and during covid to talk about it obviously the um children's commissioner has come out with some 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 more um uh uh figures this morning which we we're currently doing a dive into sort of Check into, um, and uh, and ascertain exactly what this one point seven million is. Um, but um, but yeah, the the data is really interesting. Unlike exclusions, for example, you see equal amounts of boys and girls in persistent absenteeism. Um, you know, there are certain year groups where you, you've got higher levels of persistent absenteeism that goes hand in hand, sort of speaks with, um, uh, you know, um, there's a big leap at key stage two, for example. So more than a score, we're, we're talking about the sort of stress of SATs and baseline testings in primary school. And, and, and we can certainly see that playing out in persistent absence. And then you've got another you know, cliff face between year six and seven. You've got another spike in the data but really sort of seven eight nine is persistent absenteeism just keeps on going up and then year 10 a big um spike as well and and then it drops um you know um in year um uh, 11 and 12 um a little but um but it's still considerable so i think the data is, is i think i with this i i say that our children are holding up a mirror to us about you know the the, the, i don't even want to talk about it in terms of limits but the amount that they are having to cope with and and the fact that the that, that increasing numbers are falling out of the system um not, not necessarily or or in any shape or form by choice i think yeah. ellie
1: as
2: well we would, oh sorry i was just no
1: there. go ahead yeah
2: we briefly spoke earlier about um, obviously like the amount of parents in the not finding school and how it's difficult because uh, it's, you know some of our children are able to mask their difficulties for so long um, and therefore you know they make it into school and school will say oh yeah but they're fine when they're here and then obviously we're seeing that difficulty and it's not until a child is pushed to that point where they go into a mental health crisis or a complete autistic burnout that that then becomes apparent for how long they've actually struggled and held it together um, yeah and
3: I, I think on that point i think you know most of us as children or adults want to feel accepted and want to try to, to to blend that's just a human need, you know none of children in particular hate being you know identified as different and so you know what i saw in in both my kids actually because both of mine fell out unfortunately by year four (laughs) um but um what i saw in both of them was a desperate attempt to try to to fit and try to meet the adult's expectations be it his parents um or 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 teachers you know because kids really do want to be held in high esteem and receive that positive regard you can just see it and when you've got a child that is you know chronically disengaged and and putting out a real sort of I don't care miss attitude there's a reason how they got there and there's a reason why they are you know projecting that and you know it's not just because they're naughty or willful or you know there's there's always something going on and and so it's you know finding out the why understanding what's going on And the frustration
2: sometimes is that, you know, that potentially a school or professionals or other people seem to, you know, even them comments that you've just said there, Ellie, just, just get my back up instantly because for my son, that's how it was from when he was four is, you know, he was okay in school and you need to put more discipline in or you need to do X, Y and Z, which eventually pushed him into the burnout that he went into and a diagnosis of school-based trauma and being in the urges package that he is now and even even going through all that even with everything that our family has been through I've got a four-year-old that is already at that point again who is um, you know struggling to attend uh, preschool and in September he will be expected to go full-time and you know I'm I'm having comments like well do you think he's just copying his brother mm. you know and it's it's It is just so frustrating because it's like, you know, the one thing that parents want is for their children to be to be happy and to thrive. And when you when you have children and I've said this before, like to other professionals and in other speeches that I've done, you know, when you have children, you you assume or you think that they are going to be entitled to this full-time education and it's just going to happen and that is the way it should be but for a lot of parents that have got children with additional needs or anxiety mental health problems or whatever else the fight that we have to get to get our children's needs understood and met it just shouldn't be this way
1: and I wanted to ask, well, you know, we will go to the news slightly later. And when we come back, we'll talk about sort of the future and the positive and steps that people can hopefully take to be on the other side of this coin that I will now describe. But what are the things, that are, you know, a little bit like you've touched on there, that schools are currently expected to do? And, I, you know, I can talk through, you know, the registers are important, but, you know, and, 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 and such like a missed learning time equally you know, is an important thing that, that we should be aware of, but the ways in which schools are enacting it at the moment, which ways do you think are not helping the situation or are potentially putting barriers between schools and families that we get to a situation where either parents or children completely want to disengage or the trust is gone?
3: Yeah, so uh, we... Uh... With Not Fine School, we ran several surveys, and I've got some of the data here from our surveys. The most recent survey we ran was in preparation for the attendance consultation in February, which was announced on January the 31st and was closing on February the 28th. uh, And the whole of the country was on half term for two weeks. Um, And so we had a, a very short amount of time in which to survey our parents uh, in, in, in within the scope of the consultation and answer the questions and evidence why, why what we were saying wasn't appropriate. And that, the survey ran for ten days, and we had almost two thousand respondents, which was extraordinary. Um, so we asked families a broad range of measures. Um, we are, you know, within a long list, and we asked them to rate what helped and what didn't. In terms of what doesn't help, and bear in mind, this is two thousand respondents um eight percent said a home visit doesn't help and i know from personal experience it doesn't help uh one of the reasons why it doesn't help is because my children were really freaked out and slightly um unsettled that a teacher this sort of holy person in their lives this sort of you know mystical figure in their lives was coming into their homes that was extremely strange for them and they didn't understand why it was happening um and they were only you know eight or nine um but um so you know it's but also for me as a as a parent i found it really difficult to kind of think about that um uh seven, only seven percent said that robust school policies helped i know that the dfe as part their measures is saying that there must be a standardization of attendance policies you know have those on your website does that help with persistent absence? No. Does it help to know what your parental duty is when your child is struggling? No, because you're painfully aware of what your parental duty is and and your child cannot meet that expectation. Zero tolerance on behaviour, only 7%. Information around the importance of school attendance for safeguarding and attainment, 4%. Prioritising attainment, 4%. This is another big area. Does it help to, you know, put uh, put um uh attendance and attainment so highly in everyone's minds and consistently and actually i i found it like water torture to sort of have these conversations around attainment you know attendance equals attainment and if you mi if you miss that then your life's ruined and it was you know extremely problematic setting high expectations only three percent information on parental duty to ensure attendance two percent said it it um it helps referral to a parenting course. Two percent found helpful. Fines of prosecutions. One percent, and physically forcing attendance only one percent. So, um, you know, the, the kind of measures that the DFE are recommending, um, uh, in terms of standardising information and standardising policy, are not the measures that are going to help attendance.
2: And one of the one of the other things I'd just like to add to that, Ellie, is. From our independent investigator that looked into my complaint about Harley not having an education when he wasn't in school and talking about like it being, um, you know, child centred and, and a holistic approach. One of the things that I've said to professionals before, whether it's the right or wrong way to look at things, if we set out with every single adult and said, your job has to be, you are a mechanic and you will go every day and you will enjoy it and you will learn it. Adults wouldn't follow that because we all have different interests and different skills. And I think the biggest problem within the education system is a curriculum that is made to fit everybody. And I think what we should be doing in the education system is actually flipping that round to each child and taking their interests and their skills and be promoting and empowering and encouraging them with their interests rather than trying to teach every child the same curriculum.
1: Yeah, you know, I find that it's, it's such a powerful argument for, uh, you know, how we organized schools and i think you know some of those things about what parents want as well is such a you know really important for for teachers to hear when we're considering what we are doing because we you know i would say that most teachers or school leaders i'm aware of wouldn't be familiar with with that data what they might be familiar with is the stuff the department for education is putting out saying that they should be setting high expectations or when they are phoning a parent of a child who is potentially very distressed and at home, you know, potentially the parent distressed as well because of of what's happening and maybe they have to get to work or whatever the situation is, phoning them up and saying, oh, just to let you know, 50% of children who don't attend don't get five A's to C's. Sounds like a, you know, like a terrible idea to me. And I, I really struggle to put those two things into context.
2: But the thing yeah. is no no, no. two children are going to be good at the same thing and like you say like if if we think about it as an adult and someone said that you had to go into this you know building room for seven hours a day and this is what you're going to be learning about and this is what you're going to be interested in it it just wouldn't it wouldn't work. I know myself would be like well I'm not doing that I don't want to do that and I I had a long meeting with our local authority today about um, policies and changing things. And, you know, I think the whole idea of school now is just such a negative um, prospect for our children. You know, it should be something that is made fun, that is made enjoyable. It doesn't surprise me that there's so many children struggling to be forced or pushed into that when during a pandemic they've been able to be at home and learn about the things they're interested in in a way that they can learn not but all also, children
3: i just add to that it's it's not a surprise to me that there's a workforce retention crisis because i think teachers who go in with a passion to you know, work with children, teach um and be in that environment are absolutely burdened with a curriculum that's miles wide um, and um you know a consistent flow of new DFE guidance um faster than you can blink um and um and you know it's all very policy heavy it's all very process heavy and i think what happens is when everyone is carrying this mental load of you know or nqts don't smile till christmas and you're not there to be their friend and and um you know you've got to um seek out radicalization and fgm and and um harm and la la, la. oh and 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 you've, you know rshe and the the, the mental load must be astronomical for teachers. And plus, they've got, you know, tensions with families like Matty or I coming in and saying, you know, my child isn't coping, or are you saying that it's my fault? Or, you know, I I cannot imagine and I feel like we've we've completely lost sight of, of a how to build strong, cohesive communities, but b how to um, nurture each other and focus on on a child's well being. Because we get that right and learning, learning happens, you know. Yeah, it, but, could be, but,
2: it could be fun and it could be something that children got up in the morning and were looking forward to if they felt, you know, they were going to be able to go in and connect with, um, I know from, from my son, like with his EOTUS package now, they aren't in brackets sort of. Um, that role as a teacher they're more on his level and they work together and they have fun and he teaches them things and it's an opportunity to grow together and I think you know with the curriculum that we've got at the moment certainly I think there should be so much more um, life skills and and things that are going to be useful I just think it's so heavy on like you say exams and being able to sit down and regurgitate things that people have you know told you that you're not interested in
1: yeah. it could no, just
2: be so different oh
1: you know I will say that there, there are pockets and I'm very lucky to be in one of these pockets where you know I work in a what we call an alternative curriculum unit within a secondary school where we are designed to be pupil centred and we are very much built from that way up that we uh, work from the pupil centred where they want to go and we are only key stage four which means we are thinking about their transition to wherever they go next after school but we will look at which subjects they're going to keep which ones they're not uh, which ones we will then build up from another direction which college placements work experiences a bit like the yotas package that you've talked about there except we are school based as opposed we're pre- EOTIS. um and it is possible to for that for that to exist and this is my high horse i guess and and I, you know i wonder if you reflect on this while we're on the negative side of the news we will be more positive afterwards yeah. maybe but um the, the the thing that stops that being a bigger a thing uh, across uh, more key stages across more schools is money You know, my provision is an an expensive provision.
2: One of the things that I said to local authority today, and it is one of the Mm. things that I would love to say to government as well, or any teachers, schools, or anything, when we're looking at making these adjustments for children with additional needs or children that have got mental health difficulties or blah, 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 everything that we've just spoke about would benefit children, neurotypical children we could build such a you know there wouldn't need to be um provisions made or there wouldn't need to be uh what do they call it reasonable adjustments and things like that because it's kind of like we're trying to fit children into the system that's already there and the system's not working so we change the system to fit all children and that wouldn't actually be that financially difficult you know because you'd probably have an awful lot more children that would want to go in every day and engage and have a bit more freedom and a bit more choice and a bit more fun
1: we are getting very revolutionary and i know you know i apologize ellie (laughs) we've we've gone you know me and maddie here are rewriting the, the the world of, of education as we talk but we do have to go to the news now it'll be about eight minutes but when we come back I'm hoping that we can just pull out from this discussion some some really positive maybe small scale we won't be able to set up the barricades just yet Maddie. you and I we'll, we'll get the we'll, we'll get <laughs> I'm onto that. Right
3: there with you don't worry <laughs> we'll,
1: we'll, we'll get on to that another time but maybe if we focus on a couple of small scale steps adjustments that teachers and school leaders can make in their school that can really make a difference to people who have been in the situations that you've been in are you happy? to stay around
2: I'm happy to stay around the one sentence that I want to get in before then is just listen to the parents
1: fantastic well thank you very much now I need both of you just to mute your microphones because last time I did this I managed to cut you off somehow if if you try that while we go to the news oh absolutely perfect and we will see you all on the other side of this break
0: Imagine a
4: world where you were free to focus on sparking curiosity in your students and giving them access to the awe and wonder of learning. A world where you were supported to deliver a truly personalised education to help all your learners achieve their potential. No need to imagine it, because that's exactly what the Oxford Smart Curriculum Service delivers. Seamlessly integrating curriculum, resources, assessment, next steps and professional development
5: in bursary. Terms and conditions apply. Find out more at stevewoods.co.uk.
6: If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common. A passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are Witherslack Group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.witherslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers, and be part of our future.
0: This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn.
7: According to a report in The Independent, schools have begun giving free breakfast to all students sitting exams in an effort to support the rising numbers of families struggling with the cost of living crisis. Head teachers have said that to ensure that no one falls through the cracks, they have decided for the first time to offer free breakfast to pupils taking exams. Pep Delazio, head teacher of a secondary school in Sheffield, said we have gone over and above this year we call it a warm-up and it is just literally preparing for the exam so we know they're good to go before the papers are out and before they go into the exam hall a government spokesperson said a nutritious breakfast at the start of the day can help a pupil's attainment and behavior our national school breakfast program backed by by up to £24 million for two years is helping children in disadvantaged areas start the day with a healthy meal. We encourage all schools to use their increased core schools and recovery funding to help children and young people according to their needs, including with breakfast clubs. In Scotland, the EIS union, which represents around 80% of Scotland's teaching professionals, is hosting its AGM this week, with the recently launched Pay Attention campaign, which calls for a 10% pay rise for teachers amid the cost of living crisis taking centre stage. A rally is expected to take place on Saturday afternoon as part of the Pay Increase campaign. EIS General Secretary Larry Flanagan said, Now in its 175th year, the EIS is the largest teaching union in Scotland, the oldest national organisation of this type in the world. The EIS AGM is one of the key events in the calendar of Scottish education and always sparks considerable debate on the issues facing our education system. This year's event is the first physical AGM that the EIS has held for three years as a consequence of the COVID pandemic. Following two years of online meetings, our members will be looking forward to reacquainting themselves with colleagues in person and engaging in lively debate on the key issues facing Scottish education. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn.
0: This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio.
5: Hello! We all buy a lot of stuff online it's easier more convenient but finding the best price can be difficult this week let's talk about comparing prices and are reduced prices really a bargain without boring you with the law on price dropping basically shops have to have had a product on sale at a higher price for a substantial time in the past six months to allow them to claim a price drop if you research this you'll see a lot of hits on the 28 day rule 28 consecutive days being considered a substantial amount of time. If you're shopping on site like Amazon, for instance, there's a website that will show you the past sale prices of a product. It's called Camel Camel Camel. That's three camels with no spaces. You can even set up a free account to send you a notification when the price drops. If you're shopping elsewhere, there's lots of price comparison sites around to help you find the best price. A simple search for price comparison will give you a huge list. My advice is find one you understand and trust and start saving. Do you have a favorite price comparison website? Why not get in touch at the TT Radio 2022 Twitter feed? Follow us and tell us what you want to know about tech. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech.
0: Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TTRadio. Tune in, talk it
1: out with Teachers Talk Radio. Baradar, Hello, everyone. Welcome to Swansea and the Twilight Show with me, Nathan Ginn, here on Teachers Talk Radio. And we have been talking about uh, school refusal um, and uh, attendance. And we're joined by Ellie Costello and uh, Madeline Roberts. Um, Ellie from from SquarePeg, social enterprise um, uh, to affect change and children who struggle to attend school um and and help their families um now uh welcome back uh ellie
6: hello
1: yes and welcome back maddie
2: hello
1: yes the gremlins have gone the gremlins have left us <laughs> now earlier on in the show we've talked a little bit about your personal stories we've talked a little bit about some of the things that people you know schools really need to understand and some of it is you know, quite quite tough conversations, I guess, when we're, we're talking about that. And I think sometimes it can be tough for educators, teachers, as as professionals, to accept and to reflect on what can sometimes be some some tough things. You know, to hear about what they're doing. But hopefully now this side of the news, we're just going to talk about some positives that, you know, either people can do. And if we start on the, the kind of individual level, the, the kind of micro level, and then we'll talk maybe right at the very last bit about some of the campaigns and, and kind of big kind of political type uh, messages that c- can, be, can be changed. But what are some small sort of top tips that you would give teachers or maybe people working in the uh, attendance office or school leaders when thinking about these kind of things?
3: Yeah, so I'll just run through, I gave you 10, 10 things from our survey that, that didn't help our respondents said out of a long list what didn't help. And I'll I'll give you the sort of top five, uh, top 10 answers for what does help, and sort of um, flesh that out a bit. So 82% replied saying that pastoral and mental health support help, uh, you know, was, was positive. And I think when we think about pastoral and mental health, that doesn't need to be entirely specialists. I know I'm going to get shot down in flames that teachers aren't mental health support workers I'm not even talking about that I'm just talking about um, you know just 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 the positive regard just the openness and curiosity now I think what we all know is within education we have a lot of very stretched um, uh, uh, professionals trying to do a really hard job in unprecedented circumstances um, and so sometimes it's really hard to be that person but uh, my invitation would be how would you like to be spoken to if this was your child, or if you don't have a child how do you imagine you'd like to be spoken to um and just really sort of coming at it from a place of 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 kindness and care because nothing inflames a situation than you know a, a, a slightly um uh cool or cold or or, or harsh opinion back to the other person in any situation you know police and talk about this a lot for example in terms of their community um work in terms of building relationships within um uh, areas of of um of disadvantage and deprivation or or in the city or whatever but I mean, the, the just being kind, being open is really, really valuable. So a lot of mileage, and also sort of using that humour as well. You know that that can be. So well, eventually, my second child ended up in a hub. Actually, it's very similar to the one that you're talking about, Nathan. And it was absolutely brilliant. Unfortunately, it was too little, too late, and despite her best efforts, she wasn't able to remain after after two years. But, you know, the the Senko and all the team, they used humour in, in, in such a clever way. So, you know, if there was stress in the room, there was nothing like trying to break that ice by, um, you know, being humorous, being playful, being light is, you know, has a lot of, a lot of mileage. And, and also it built solidarity. So I remember the Senko would say, now Ellie, I know you don't like this question, but I have to ask it. How are you getting on with X, Y and Z? Or could you tell me, you know, how sleep is going? Because we just, you know, we're, 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 we were talking about it last time. And, you know, it'd be really useful for me to understand. So just sort of bringing each other onto the same page with humour is really helpful. Um, 82% actually reported that a proactive Senko really helped. And that was my experience, finally, in the end, um, trust trusting parental opinion and experience 82%. So that trust there is really valuable um, accommodations and creative thinking, seventy nine percent inclusion for SEN, disability, and ill health, seventy nine percent. You know, I, th- I think that's quite a sort of. I really hope that post COVID we would understand that keeping your germs at home was perhaps a good thing, um, and that you know you you don't need to keep calm and carry on. Um, uh, so, and particularly for children with invisible disabilities and an invisible illness. Um, I know that um, there's children who are diabetics or or who have underlying conditions and because they don't look ill <laughs> but they really struggle so sort of holding in mind the variety of needs there if you can't see it, it doesn't mean it's not there. Um, uh, flexibility, being flexible and being open 90% said that helped. Reasonable adjustments 87%. Prioritising mental health and happiness 86%. Um, training for staff you know often staff don't always understand and there's a capacity deficit there 86% and kindness was scored at 83% so um, you know that's that's broadly what works and I think you know we would all agree that that doesn't actually cost a lot of money
2: and I'd say the one thing in that as well um, is just not the judgment the parent blame culture just causes so much like difficulties between schools and parents but to just be compassionate and to listen and you know not to judge parents or children that are struggling would just make the world of difference
3: yeah so one just building on that and sort of keeping it with the positive as well there's there's um I can't remember who it is. I think it might have been Brené Brown. And she talks about the importance of a pause before you react. So just giving yourself a beat and breathing and just using that 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 time not to respond. Um, and I think she calls it the sacred pause, or it might be the Buddhists that call it the sacred pause. But it's such a valuable thing. So before you respond is just breathing. And we talk about this in our training as well. That's The importance of sort of, Being aware in your own responses. So if I am feeling like I'm going to give this parent or this child short shrift, or if I am feeling like, um, like I'm pulled to sort of be slightly, um, you know, firm, um, you know, that's my go to to sort of shut this conversation down. Um, is actually kind of thinking, what's going on for me right now? What's driving this in me? Is it actually that I've had a really long morning and I'm hungry and I want to go to lunch? You know, so what is it? And and one of the one of the sort of things that I try to think about is halt, which is hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. You know, am I any of those things right now? So to sort of ground me in that pause before I respond thinking about what it is in me and if i don't have the agency to respond in a positive way who can i go to to seek support what do i need in order to respond to this child this parent this colleague, this situation um, and if i did if it is additional support where can i get it and, and well, i think that sort of you know really builds on that agency within the individual to feel that they can do something and it doesn't have to get in sort of caught into the web of a parent feeling judged or a teacher feeling judged or a school feeling judged or yeah really useful what the,
2: one of the phrases i heard today actually which i thought was really good was stop the clock mm-hmm. and i think like sometimes in that moment it's like just stop the clock stop the moment and think about it which is exactly what you're saying there Ellie about not just responding or saying the first thing it's just like stopping the moment and thinking about what's happening Mm.
3: and then uh, building on that if you do react in an inappropriate way I mean these are all sort of relational tools that I've been obliged to pick up to support my kids but I do transfer them absolutely everywhere the power of of sort of rebuilding and repairing relationships comes in when you've gone away and reflected and perhaps you think that you could have handled it differently. And then putting it out there with that person where the tension happened and naming it. You know, I was aware that the last meeting didn't finish positively because, you know, and and actually I'm I'm going to I'm going to hold myself um open here and kind of say you know i i realize now on reflection i could have responded in this way and i'm sorry if that was challenging you know you it's not that you're, you're 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 necessarily um You know falling on your sword in any shape or form it's it's just about how we repair a relationship and sort of keep on the same page because working with children who are struggling is really activating and when you're working with a child who has anxiety that anxiety or that trauma will ping around the system and it will push at ways to get out and it will try to find the weak links and so containing that as the adults and working together will absolutely really help that child to kind of think okay everyone everyone's got this i can trust them and i'm being listened to you know you know i know that they're going to listen to me i might not always like what they're going to say to me and we can have but there's an opportunity to talk about it and move through this together by communicating and collaborating and i think those little relational tools are so vital
2: we also say in our house like It's also being able to go back to my children and I say this to professionals sometimes that I've got really like frustrated at like and I say it to my children, I say it to professionals, it's not you that I'm frustrated at, it's the system and that's where it sort of like comes round to the whole positive of like we need to change the system. We need to change the policy, we need to change the culture and the attitude, because I think there's so much that is taken out on the wrong people with children, Mm. with teachers, with schools, with parents. And it's not actually sort of any of our fault. It is the system that needs to change.
1: Mm. and that is you know a perfect transition for me into our last sort of five minutes of the show just give an opportunity if there were people who were listening to this and they think you know this is this is actually something that, that you know touches me maybe not in a, a you know individual but at a national level and I wanted to do something or wanted to get involved in some way and um, what sort of campaigns or things are you asking for
3: yeah. <laughs> where do you want us to start it's, it's, there's mm-hmm. quite a lot to ask for at the moment and the school's bill or the school's white paper even, was a real opportunity to do something transformational. And unfortunately, what we had was a parent pledge that no parents wanted. And we had sort of all sorts of other things out there that, you know, I'm sure the education sector was groaning about. So, you know, about focusing on on the positives, you know, I think, as Maddy said, it is about a whole scale change. I think everyone is desperate for it. We hoped that... that um, Covid would activate it, um, but in terms of um, you know change, uh, I can see. Speaking, thinking from a sort of compassion-focused view, I I have to believe that everybody who's working in or around policy and practice is coming at it from the right place. They may not be delivering the right solutions or coming up with the right solutions, but let's assume that they're coming from the right place. And I think if you know you're coming up against a tidal wave of dissent which is what is going through the lords right now then surely there is a uh, you know a, a real sort of call to arms here as to as to um you know doing things differently and i think it, it please listen to the sector please listen to families please listen to children don't just do an interview and go away and come up with the solutions within a silo which is what i can see happening left, right and centre, they're sort of very selective conversations and a predetermined pathway, and it's all being planned and plotted, probably, you know, in 2019, who knows. But, um, you know, we actually what is being delivered is a sort of, you know, standardisation, yet again, raising of uh, of, um, attainment. Um, These aren't the things that a post-COVID nation or globe needs it's not what our children need Um, and there is some fortunately some really brilliant innovation that is going on within education and some people who are showing how to do it um, well and to you know work in areas of deprivation and smash targets and build strong communities and really give us hope. And then on the fringes, um, you know, within um, alternative provision and um, self-directed and progressive education, there's some really interesting stuff going on as well. And I just think we need to come together and really wipe the slate clean and and actually meaningfully start again um, and, and innovate and transform together Um, because there's not enough listening to grassroots. That's my view at the moment. Um, And if it is listened to, it's done as a sort of checkbox, and it's not meaningfully implemented. And it's not meaningfully implemented, because it's not co-produced, you haven't got stakeholders who are grassroots at those top tables, really helping innovate and deliver what's needed.
1: Thank you guys so much. Uh, You know, I want to tag on just the end of your tips because I think it's worth bringing up again. Um, This, uh, you know, one of the most powerful things I've, you know, for me as a professional, when I, you know, both and I know you've mentioned it, sort of, um, Maddie, already tonight, was when I read through this this fine in school that that we really need to consider that, that that it could be masking you know in a child's behavior and so when they go home and that mask slips or or the tiredness from that that was something that really hit me so thank you so much for sharing all of these things um and for coming on tonight i'm afraid we have reached the end of the show but it's been absolutely wonderful
2: we need so to add in there that obviously anybody that wants to sign that petition that is showing the numbers and the pure volume of parents and families that are struggling and the want for change is just yeah yeah and we've bo- got a, it's, it is strength in numbers
6: yeah
3: I, I really do agree with that we're having some really good discussions with teacher unions and um and uh and the wider third sector as well we have a petition out as well which is calling for a mental health non-attendance registration code um, because a lot of our families get caught with unauthorised absences. We touched on it earlier. So if anyone wants to sign our petition um, uh, alongside Maddie's as well, which is um, obviously going great guns, you know, there, there are things that we can do. But um, let's keep talking, Nathan, because we've just had the, this has been the most invigorating conversation and there's lots more to come with the schools bill i'm sure and um and uh, keep keep talking yeah
1: well as i say thank you so much for coming on um we do you know in south wales well in wales all over it should be good night is nostar so i do always say nostar at nostar. the end of the show <laughs> nostar and Diochenval, and val thank you guys so much for being on um, and uh, we will see you all oh i should say to everyone don't forget lucy newberger over on twitter spaces starting in about 50 seconds we will see you all there that one's live on twitter um thank you and nostar good night